Well, we continue our series called Pursued. This is week four of week five as we go through the book of Hosea. And it's been a joy to walk along in this book alongside so many of you as we journey uh, through. I just want to invite you that next week is our final week. And then the following week, we have Awaken Weekend, Awaken to the purpose of, that God has for your life. Looking forward to that. So make sure you're bringing friends. As you turn to Hosea chapter 6, where we'll be today, you can turn there in your Bible or a smartphone or the Bible that would be in front of you. I'm going to be reading from a Bible. It looks just like this. It is just like the one you'll be reading from if you'd like to use that one. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you that Bible to take home as we offer every single week. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question today. And the question is this. Was there ever a moment in your life where you blew it? You blew it and you knew it. And there was regret and there was trepidation of the, of the outcome to come. Has there ever been a moment like that? I know for my life, I cannot tell a lie, my wife's sitting right here uh, with us, that there has been moments where I have blown it, and, and i known it, if you will. What about you? When we blow it and we know it, what is our next move like? I had a good friend of mine who uh, grew up with me, and for many years he really struggled uh, with any dollar that he'd make, he'd end up gambling it away. He just loved that. That was kind of his vice, if you will. And he got married, and uh, he had been working on this business deal for quite a number of years. And he was to the point of the one day where it was coming to a completion. They really needed this one business deal. So he, he brings it to completion, and he's celebrating in victory, and he's on his way home, and his wife says, hey, I'll be home in a little while, uh, another hour and a half. You come home, and then we'll celebrate together. So he's on his way home, and he passes by the place that he plays blackjack. And he goes, you know what? I'll just stop in, and I'll stop in for just a moment, and I'll play a hand of blackjack. And he goes in, and he plays it, and he loses 20 bucks like that. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and get that back. And then another 20 bucks, then another 20 bucks. Then another and before you know it, he has literally blown the entire amount of money that he'd been working so hard to get. My friend, at that moment, he knew that he'd blown it. What would be his next move? What is our next move? You know, as we walk along in this series, and we talk about this element of just blowing it as people, as real-life people, we know this to be true. Everyone in this room, there are burdens that we carry because we've made mistakes, that we've blown it so badly, and we know it. Maybe today you, you walk in here today and you said something or you did something or you didn't do something that has hurt somebody and you regret it and you know it, that you've blown it. What's your next move? Or maybe today you've been abusing someone emotionally or physically or mentally and you've blown it and you know it. What do you do? Or maybe today you're involved in unethical financial dealings right now and you've blown it, and you know it. What is your next move? Or maybe today you're a parent, and you just feel like that you're given opportunities, and every time you're given an opportunity with your children, you just blow those opportunities, and you're like, what am I, what am I to do? Or maybe today you, you sit here, and you're involved in a situation, and those, situ involve, those situations involve uh, the sin in your life, and they continue to just be a torrent that draws you down further and further and further, and you can't get out from underneath the self-destruction that you're dealing with. 
And even though you, you wish that they weren't true, they're true, what do you do? How do you get beyond it? It reminds me of my daughter. Just a few weeks ago, in fact, it was an hour and a half before dinner, and she comes up to me and she says, can I have a cookie? Mom had made cookies just a, a little bit previously, and I said, no, you can't have a cookie. Maybe after you can have a cookie, but you have to eat your dinner first. So I'm in the living room, and I hear a bunch of activity in the kitchen about an hour before. And certainly, there she is. She's found a stool. She's brought herself up to the countertop, and she's got herself in a position to reach the cookies. And I approach her. Her back is to me, and she not only has found the cookies, but she is involved in the cookies. <laughs> you know, I, I look at her, and she turns around as I say, what are you doing? And her chubby little face is covered with chocolate. And she's got a mustache, she's got a Fu Manchu, she's got a beard of chocolate. She's got hands that have crumbs on it. She, the evidence is clear, and I've got her where I want her. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you, there you see, she is guilty as charged. And I ask her, did you eat a cookie? And she says, no. <laughs> One side of me was like, she just lied to me. I cannot believe she lied to her father that easily. And then the other side of me was like, wow, I'm really impressed that she could lie so well to me. What is the future going to look like for this girl? I mean, she's, the world's in front of her. <laughs> but she had blown it, and she, she had known it. And what was her next move? And what do you do when you got chocolate all over your face? What's your next move? You have a choice to make. You can carry the shame and the grief and the, and the burden around with you. You can try to ignore it. You can try to deal with it in so many different ways, or you can do it and deal with it in a completely different way that is more freeing, that is more life-giving, that is more transformational, that is victorious in nature. And what I'm talking about today is living a life of repentance. And we talked about the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, just a few weeks ago. And there in Luke chapter 15, you have a son who is given a fortune. He goes out and he spends every single penny and he comes back home because he has no money left. And he carries his, his tail between his legs as he approaches his dad. And he has nothing left. And his father welcomes him with open arms. And the Hebrews would call what he did where he, he was away. And he came back home, a teshuva. He did a 180. He repented. He came home. It was this relational repentance. We saw the shape of a ring on that video. It involved the, the depiction of that woman putting a ring on her finger once again. It represented really what repentance looks like in our lives in so many ways. Consider it for a second. Maybe you have a ring on your finger. Or maybe you have a watch or a bracelet you're wearing right now. And, and there's a, it, it creates a shape similar to the one that I want to draw for you. And it's this oval here. And, and this oval is what a track looks like so many times. And there are many runners here in this church that are great, talented runners. Some of them have won local and regional and even state and national running competitions. I marvel at their speed and ability. But what I've learned from running, from listening to some race experts, is one of the most important parts of the race is learn the turn. That is that from here— to here is an important section of the race. You have the straightaways on both sides, but in order to catapult yourself down the straightaway, you have to learn the art of the turn. And if you earn 
I'm sorry, if you learn the turn, it sends you down towards victory in the race. And when you learn the turn, what begins to happen is, is you pass the people around you and you celebrate with victory. What I want to talk about today is that repentance, learning the turn, doing a 180, catapults you to victory in your life. And it's counterintuitive, but it's true. So many times, though, we, we, we look at the turn, we look at repentance, and we see these images in our head. You know, I, I always get this one image every time I hear the word repentance, and I was at a sporting event. I was waiting in line to get into this sporting event, and there's this guy on the corner of this, uh, of this sidewalk, and he's got a bullhorn in his mouth, and he's shouting out, y'all are going to hell. Repent. Repent. And he's screaming at people. And he looks right at me. I'm about 20 feet away because I'm just staring at him. And he goes, you're going to hell. Repent. Repent. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and everyone looks at me. And he goes, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. But then I get another image in my head when I hear this word repent. And I think of this church that took out this this article, and they print this. They say, Heathens beware. All fornicators, liars, murderers, lawbreakers, adulterers, drunkards, thieves, and potty mouse. <laughs> they say, You deserve hell. Repent, repent. And then he gives their website. Like, you really want to go there. It's such a welcoming place, right? Or you think of the word repentance and, and you just think of someone who just feels sorry for themselves. But see, we, we gain an un, a better understanding of this word repentance, this idea of learning the turn, from the story of Hosea and Gomer as she is drawn into a relationship back with Hosea. And we gain a greater theology for repentance. Maybe you learned repentance in one way, and maybe today it'll round out your perspective, your theology, or it'll completely obliterate what you once thought, and it'll build uh, you a new definition. But that repentance, under, understand, is relational. That repentance is turning back home. That learning the turn is the pathway to transformation and victory in your life in so many ways. And this is exactly what we find in Gomer. She was a common prostitute. She's walking the streets of, of a little town in the Middle East 3,000 years ago. She's working the corner, and a man of great value and esteem approaches her, Hosea. He woos her, he dates her, he marries her, and how does she repay all of that he's done for her? She cheats on him over and over and over and over and over again, to the point where she is enslaved to sex slavery. There at the town square, as we talked about last week, she is sold as a sex slave for anyone, naked for all to see what they would get when they could purchase Gomer. And he, Hosea, he goes and he gives all that he has and he buys her back. And with the Jews' mouths wide open because of what this real life story was entailing, he puts a blanket around her and in a real way, she models repentance going home with him. And what the Jews don't know is that they're witnessing a real-life lesson before them. And the lesson is this. That they have been just like Gomer. That we have just been just like Gomer. But repentance, my friends, 
is what draws us back home, is what takes us to victory. So we look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, and this object lesson that they have seen play out is really the start all the way through the end of Hosea. And this same message Hosea shares over and over and over again. Look in verse 1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Now, if, if you want to underline or make a note or just kind of taking notes there, you could circle the word return. Hosea is saying, look, it's our move now. And he says this 15 times in the book of Hosea as we close out the book. Return, return, return. He says, look, you have gone away. He pursues you. He loves you. He is passionately after you. He loves you. Return to him. Come back home. He says it over and over again. And then in verse 1, he continues, He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Now you read that, and you go, okay, you go home to a father, and he's going to tear you to pieces. You go home to a father, and he's going to rip you to shreds. That doesn't sound very inviting. No, thank you. I'm not a glutton for punishment. But what we don't understand that we should understand, is that Hosea is referring to chapter 5, where he talks about this animal that is a metaphor of what God is doing to administer his teaching love to all of the people involved that he wants to pursue. And that's every single man, woman, and child on this planet. And what he's doing is he's helping them understand that his teaching love is just as important as his, 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 his comforting love. And the people of this day knew that a shepherd, that a father, would administer both. And they knew that a, that a shepherd would go beyond just a comforting love, that they would know that a sheep would in, encourage and, and would know the teaching love of a shepherd. It's kind of like this. The most comforting words in all of Scripture are, the Lord is my, I shall not. Yeah. But what we, what we sometimes fail to remember is that the shepherd, he would oftentimes have a sheep or two sheep that would just always wander off on cliffs. And he had to bring them back because sheep are dumb enough that they'll literally just walk off a cliff. That's how smart they are, okay? And, and uh, guess who uh, the Bible refers to sheep so many times? All right, all right. So the shepherd would draw the sheep back to himself. And if they continued to wander, he would then, what he would do is he'd take the, the leg of the sheep, he'd break the leg of the sheep, and then he would put the sheep around his neck and he would uh, splint the leg of the sheep. And then he would feed the sheep and he would bring the sheep back to health. But that sheep would never leave the shepherd. And Israel knows that he will go beyond comfort, God will, to save them. And they'd just been through pain and heartache, and Hosea is referring to that. C.S. Lewis, he talks about the pain that God may time, sometimes use. In the 20th century, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And Hosea is reiterating this fact, and then he continues. He says, in verse 2, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. That Hosea is saying, look, just as assuredly as the sun begins to rise in the morning, so the faithfulness and the healing power of God will be administered to you. 
when you come home, when you teshuva, when you repent. But it's your move, Hosea, he says to Israel. It's your move. And I, I begin to think about you know, people that have blown it and they known it. People that blew it and they knew it. And I think about so many different people in the Bible. You think about the, the prodigal son that Jesus tells a story about in Luke chapter 15 and how he'd blown it and he'd known it. And you think about David, who was at the pinnacle of his career and he has an affair with Bathsheba. But then he, he comes back home, he learns the turn, and he comes back to God. You think about Samson and his final act of power where he had blown it in so many ways, but then in one final act, he comes back to God right before his life would end. Or you think about in Acts chapter 2 where you have thousands of people who are told that God is pursuing them and they turn back to him and they come back home. Just a little bit before in the New Testament, you hear, you know about John the Baptist who spent his whole life with one phrase on the tip of his tongue, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He uses this word metanoia over and over and over again. It means reorient your thinking to a new kingdom, not Caesar's, but someone else's. But one of those notable stories of just blowing it in Scripture is none other than the voice that carried the love and pursuit of God to those thousands of people in Acts chapter 2 that they would come home to. And that was Simon Peter who would share that message. Here's a notable story about blowing it. And that's why I love Peter, because I kind of relate to a man who blows it. Maybe you can as well. If you want to look at Matthew chapter 26 with me, we're going to be there. Matthew chapter 26, in verse 69, the situation is that Jesus has gone through some kangaroo court trials, and, and the disciples are getting worried because they've given his li the, their life to this man. But now this man is actually on the very precipice of being killed. They're scared. They're worried, not only for his life, but their own life. And in verse 69, you, 69, you get this sense. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the, the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word of Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter is totally blown it. He totally denied the very person they'd been following. He's and he knows the fact that he's blown it. So what does he do next? How does he respond? Is he going to spend the rest of his life carrying around the shame and burden and regret of the, the, the time that he completely blew it? So many times we do this. We, we try to somehow get through in so many different ways. Maybe Peter, he would have spent the rest of his life trying to numb the pain. My, my, my wife and I had a really tough time during our first daughter's first few months. She had really bad colic. And she would cry four, five, six, seven, eight, nine hours at a time. I mean, it was just maddening if you've ever experienced that before. And so one day we'd have a full day of her crying. We're going somewhere, and she's in the back seat, and she's screaming. She's crying. 
And in, in a bad moment that I'm not too proud of, I just turned up the radio louder than she, she was crying. And I can feel the eyes of my wife. And I look over, and she's just staring at me. And she's like, really? <laughs> but this is what we do in our life, isn't it? We, we turn up the noise so that we don't have to remember and hear and, 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 and maybe even think about carrying the burden of, of, of the thing we've blown it. And we, and we turn up the noise in our life in so many different ways. We, we turn up the noise by getting involved in activity or, or getting involved in a hobby or, or working harder or, or getting involved in our, maybe even our kids' lives or our family's lives or neighborhood lives or something, some way to, to get more busy so that we don't ever have to think about it. Or, or we numb the pain even by, by eating. How many of you love donuts? It's okay. How many of you love donuts? I, I'm holding my hand. I love donuts, Okay. And some of us in this room, we will literally eat to feel better about the regret we have in our life. And then there's others of us in this room that literally you'll go out and you will do burpees. You will work out to numb the pain of your regret in your life. How many of you love to work out? It's okay to admit that you like to work out, okay? If you don't know what a burpee is, that's an indicator to know that you probably like donuts more, okay? But we'll do these things to numb the pain of our regret. Or maybe Peter would have spent the rest of his life denying the fact that he denied. That he was denying the denying. And we do this all the time, and here's how we do it. Oh, it was just a little mistake. Just a little thing. No big deal. Like, just, you know, I just fudged a little bit, and no worries, no hurry, no, no issue, no fuss. It's no, ain't no thing, just, you know. I, I go into your house, and you have this little picture frame, and you got it at Walmart, and you paid like $3 for it, and I actually bump it on the, on the table, and it falls to the floor, and it breaks to pieces, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just a mistake, and you're like, oh, don't worry about it, and I go and give you a couple bucks, and it's, it's just a small mistake, right? No big deal. There's no crime. There's no punishment, right? But if we can kind of just lower the bar in everywhere of our life just to kind of deny that it was a big deal, then it just becomes a mistake, and when it becomes a mistake— then there's really no consequence. And if, and if Peter, what he did is not breaking the divine law of God and sinning, then there's no consequence. And if there's no consequence, then we escape it, at least what we think. And then if it's just a mistake, as I love how as one author says it, if it's just a mistake, then we just become mistakers. And if we're just mistakers, then we're not sinners. And if we're just sinners, then we have no need of a Savior. We just rationalize. Or, or maybe Peter, he, he would have spent the rest of his life just trying to look good on the outside, just trying to keep everything on the outside real nice and clean, but on the inside things are just falling apart because he's carrying all of these, these burdens. I've played this game. I've tried to keep everything on the outside many times while inwardly I'm carrying this regret and this, this shame and this heartache along the journey. Reminds me of this, this boy who is outside playing while his mom and his dad have the, the, the preacher to their church over at their house and the dad has to go and do something real quick. So the mom is sitting with the preacher in the kitchen and the boy runs in holding a rat in his hand. And he says, Mom, you'll never guess what just happened. There was this rat. I was walking around the garage. And I saw it. And I picked up a rock. And I threw it. And guess what? I hit the rat. Dropped it. And Mom, and then I went over to the rat. And I picked it up. 
And I threw it against the garage, and the gut spilled out. And then the boy says, I, I picked up the rat again, and I threw it against the garage, and more gut spilled out. And I picked up the rat again, and, I, and right as he's about to continue, he looks over and he sees the pastor of his church, and then his mom, and if looks could kill, he knows that he'd already been dead. And then he changes his tone. And then the good Lord took him home. See, I've played this game. Not the rat game, okay? <laughs> but I've played this game. Jesus would speak, and he would say, you know, those who are playing this game, it's like a cup with a, an outside that is washed and clean, but on the inside it's full of greed and indulgence and sin. And Hosea warns about this exact thing in verse 6 of chapter 6. He says, For God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Peter, he, he could have spent the rest of his life trying to forgive himself when really forgiveness is never given to ourselves, right? It's received. He could have spent the rest of his life trying to just punish himself, but instead, thank God, Peter learns the turn. As we read in Scripture, what we learn is that Jesus Christ, he would go to the cross, he would die, and three days later he would resurrect from the dead, and then he would show himself to a number of people, and then one day he would be raised into the heavens. And we read about in John chapter 21 that Jesus would see Peter and the disciples, and the, Peters are, or the disciples are in a boat, and they're out fishing, and Jesus is walking along the shoreline, and Peter sees Jesus he jumps with his clothes on into the water, and he swims in. And as John records, there's an incredible reunion. And the reason why Peter was so excited to see Jesus was because he knew that Jesus would, would give committed love to him, would give unconditional love to him, would receive him with open arms every single time that Peter would come back home. He knew that he could be forgiven, that he knew that there was a place in the loving arms of his father. Aren't you glad for this kind of love? You know, it, I'm glad for people that extend the same kind of love to me. I'm glad for a, a wife that extends unconditional love and commitment to me, even when I say and maybe do some things that aren't the, the greatest, when I blow it and I know it. Reminds me of this one guy that uh, records about a time in, in his wife's pregnancy, the first child they're about to have. She's eight months pregnant, and, and, and she's a very thin woman, and so she's really struggling with the weight she's putting on, and and so it records that she enters the living room and he's sitting there and she sits down to sit next to him and all of a sudden hear this <laughs> sound. And they kind of look up and they don't know what happened. And, and then she, as she stands up, he sees it. She split her pants wide open. And, and normally they're really jovial people and they can laugh about a lot of things. And so he starts laughing and he goes, you just split your pants wide open. And he's laughing and she puts her hand to her face and she starts moving her shoulders. And he's like, I'm making her laugh. And then all of a sudden he realized that th th those aren't tears of joy. Those are tears of sorrow. And he goes, oh no, I've really blown it now. So he tries to amend the situation. He goes, I'm sorry, honey, you're not fat. I mean... It's the pregnancy. I, I mean, the pants were not very good anyways. I mean, and she's crying harder and harder, and then she throws up. She was crying so hard. And then she throws up so hard, literally, she bursts a 
blood vessel in her face. And just to make matters worse, her mom walks in at the same time. And the guy goes, I'm dead meat. But then he goes on to share how his wife was committed. Unconditional love. And Peter, he receives this same love and more so with Jesus. That he would learn the turn, that he'd, he'd come home. And I'm so glad that he does come home. Why? Because when he comes home, we see the transformation that Peter would live out. And here's why. Peter would go on to, to lead the, the early church. He would go on to write the epistles. He would go on to share about the love of Christ and, and lives would be changed. And, and he became the rock that Jesus told him that he'd become for the early church. There's an early first century tradition, and we think it's true. We're not sure. But we hear that every single time that Peter would go in anywhere in any single town, and he would be preaching or teaching or leading, people wouldn't, when they disagreed with him, they wouldn't, they wouldn't throw things. They wouldn't heckle him or anything like that. They would just make one sound, a rooster crow. And with each rooster crow, it remind him of the very greatest regret he ever had. But friends, if, if you're going to come home, if you're going to teshuva, if you're going to learn the turn, it's going to take courage. It's going to take walking in truth. Because there's going to be people that remind you of your past. There's going to be rooster crows in your life. The enemy is going to crow in your ear in the darkest of moments. And you're going to have to walk in freedom just as Peter did. And aren't you glad he did? Because it's in those moments that we step out of the darkness and into the light. And let me just tell you this, friends. You may say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what burden that I'm carrying right now in this place. Let me tell you this. There is no rooster crow. There is no dark moment that is stronger than the cross. The cross breaks every single burden. The cross will carry every burden and will crush every rooster crow. There's a modern day version of what it looks like to truly repent. And Max Lucado, he tells it so well, and I'm going to share it with you today. He says, the small house was simple but adequate. It, it consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red-tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of the Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home, and, and a woman, a mom, Maria, and her little daughter, Christina, lived there. The father had died, and, and uh, Maria never remarried. And because she didn't remarry, she raised that little girl to be a, to be a wonderful little girl. It was hard, though, because she was just a single mom. But she made do, and Christina grew and became very beautiful, and men were always attracted to Christina, but Christina somehow just didn't want to get remarried. And one day, her mom feared the worst when Christina began to share that she wanted to go to the big city. She, she wanted to leave the small Brazilian village, go to Rio de Janeiro, because there she would find what she'd always been looking for. But Maria always said, you know what? You can't go there, and here's why. It's not what you think it's going to be, friend. It's not what it's going to be, Christina. But one day, Maria went into Christina's area, and there the pallet that, that, that little Christina slept on was empty, and she feared the worst had come true, and 
She's there in the city now. And so Maria did what only a, a loving mom would do. And she went to a local drugstore and took a photo of her, a black and white photo. And she wrote on the back a, a small sentence. And she took all the money she had and she got on the bus and she went to the big city. And she knew exactly where to go. She went to the bars and the street corners where the local uh, street walkers and prostitutes were because she knew that Christina would fall on hard times. And when you fall on hard times, you turn to places you never thought you would turn. And she began to put these pictures up everywhere that she could see. And everywhere that she could know that maybe Christina would look. And she ran out of money and she ran out of photos and sadly she returned home to the small Brazilian village. A few weeks later, Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her face was tired. Her eyes were no longer dancing with joy. And the bed-to-bed-to-bed movement left her longing for just the, the little pallet she slept in, in that little village, with no hope, though, of ever returning. As she reached the bottom of that lobby, she looked over to the bulletin board, and there on the bulletin board was a familiar face. And the familiar face was her mom. And her throat began to burn and her eyes began to just water. And she took that little photo and she took the pen out and put it back on the bulletin board and she turned it over. And on the back she read these words. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Just please come home. And she did. She just came home. See, we walk through this life with heavy burdens. We carry these regrets. We've blown it, and we've known it. And they could be things as simple as saying something or doing something. It could be labeled as horrible, or it could be labeled as small. But sin is sin, my friend. And you carry these burdens before you. And you know what Jesus says? He says, lay them down. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice who he says will give you rest. I will. So may you come and you come with burdens. I just want you to know that this altar before me is a place you can come and you can drop your burdens and you can lay them down. Because John the Baptist was right. You know what he said? Repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is this, that man and God can have relationship. Everyone. Where people can find a life free of worry and guilt. Where people can find a life full of purpose. Where people can can find a life of passion and pursued by a loving God. But we have to learn the turn. I want to ask... Is it an opportunity now for you to come and for you to simply lay down your burden? You know what happens when we begin to learn a life of repentance? You know what it leads to? Revival. Renewal. And I pray that this church, this community, would experience renewal, would experience revival in our hearts, in our lives, from living a life of repentance. Would you all stand with me?
I don't know your story. I don't know maybe what you've done, but I know that Jesus knows, and he wants you to stop carrying those burdens, and he wants you to come home. And I don't know whether it was between your children or your spouse or your family or your friends. I don't know whether it's been something that just happened or it happened a long time ago. But my friends, whether you know Jesus or not, we lay our burdens down. We lay them down. I remember just this morning early, 4.45 a.m., I was on my knees asking God to carry and take away the burden of the fact that just the night before, I had just blown it with my kids. Maybe that's you. Or maybe when I was just in early stages of college, for the first time in my life, I asked God to take away all the burden of sin in my life because I was sick and tired of carrying it. And I had abused substances and relationships alike. And so whether we're, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, there's a place at the foot of the cross. There's a place where we cast and lay down our burdens. And there's a place here at this altar for that. So maybe today you could come to this altar and maybe you just would like to pray and ask God by yourself. Or maybe you would like to go to one of the people in a badge that's going to be my left and my right would love to minister to you and pray for you. Or maybe you'd like to come to maybe in the corners there uh, down here on the floor and take communion as a Christ follower and thank God for the, the burden that he took to the cross, your burden, so that you could walk in freedom. But my friend, I want you to know that learning the turn is a pathway to victory. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your graciousness, for your love, for the arms of a heavenly Father that are wide open for all of us to come home. And God, you, you speak to us. You speak to my friends and you say, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you've become, come home. And so God, I pray that you would help me, you would help us to live a life of repentance, of learning the turn so we can walk in victory and the kingdom of God can come into our lives and into our community. And I pray in this moment that would begin. In your name we pray.